Now, something my wife left out about that call in, uh, in April is Brother Harris on the first night, um, we'd had a, a missionary there on deputation just starting out who was going to Japan, the Morgans, and they were downstairs with the kids. So the first service, Brother Harris starts going on and saying, here's all the bad things about Japan. Here's how long it'll take them to learn the language. Here's how hard the culture is and on and on and on. And he says, and don't you tell those missionaries downstairs any of this. They might be discouraged. And I'm sitting back on, he has no idea what God's doing in my heart. I went up to him afterwards and said, Brother Harris, you might be careful what you say. You don't know who's in the auditorium. <laughs> but it is a, a blessing. It is a privilege and honor to be here. Um, I've had two churches in my life that I would call my home churches that have uh, in my home church in Bakersfield, God laid the foundation and I got to spend seven years here that men invested in me and built on that foundation. So Southwest is a, a very special place to me. I view you guys as my second home church. Um, we're going to be uh, looking at what manner of man can be used by God. You know, when Brother Hainline was... Uh, Where's Chad? I didn't see where he parked himself. Oh, there you are next to your dad. I saw your dad and I didn't see you. But when he was talking about being the kind of person that's, you know, shy and doesn't like to get up in front of people, I'm going, me too. Um, and it's funny going to the fifth, uh, was it, I think I'm sixth, get to preaching today. And every single preacher, it's like, I was going to make that point. <laughs> every single one of them. But uh, I usually don't start out this way, but... Um, I think this is kind of an eye-opener. There was a survey in 1993 of Christians in general. Now, I would pray and hope, and, and I'm pretty confident that the statistics wouldn't apply to Southwest, although where, where you guys would stand, I'll let you judge. But in 1993, they did this survey, and then they did a follow-up 25 years later. Can anybody guess which direction things went in 25 years in America? Um, so in 93, 10% of the people in churches in America, and mind you, this would be the regular church attendees, not the people not going to church. This is the people going to church. 10% said they had no personal responsibility for evangelism. That they had, hey, it's not my responsibility. The great commission that Jesus gave to the church doesn't apply to me. That's for the church and the professionals to handle it. 25 years later, 29%. One in three said that I as a Christian have no responsibility to tell other people about Jesus Christ. The whole point, the Great Commission, the big reason the church is still here, I don't need to be involved in it. That's bad. It gets worse, believe it or not. 95% of Christians have never led someone to the Lord. 95%. 80% rarely or never witness in any given six-month period. Less than 2% are involved regularly in the ministry of evangelism. 71% do not give financially to the fulfilling of the Great Commission. And this one gets me because it's a very, very, very low bar. 
48% have never even invited someone to church. That's a low bar. And almost half of Christians haven't even said, hey, I go to such and such church. You want to come? You know, and people get saved just by inviting them. I couldn't bring myself as a 16-year-old boy to uh, witness to my dad. That fear, he's my dad. How do I tell my dad? And God at uh, Silver State burned my heart that I wanted to see my dad get saved. And with tears, I asked him to come to church so that somebody else could tell him. And his words to me were, I've heard those Baptist preachers before, don't expect anything except God. He came and he got saved. And, but I, I, so I understand it. But low bar, invite him to church. So here's where the biggest disconnect though comes in. So, so many people aren't doing it. They say they don't have the responsibility that they, uh, they don't just participate. They say, hey, it's the church guys or, or whatever. 75% feel that they could adequately explain the gospel. That they have the ability to look at a person and say, this is what the Bible says. That Jesus died on a cross for them in their place. That they could have eternal life and go to heaven. 75% say they are confident that they could do that. Yet the vast majority don't. Only 12% say they're not able. That's a disconnect. Let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 12. And if I forget to tell you to sit down, when I get done reading, just sit down. I am notorious for that. In Romans 12:1 it says, "I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to each man, to every man, the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. We see there, I beseech. That's a strong word. Beseeching isn't just asking. It's begging. Paul's on his knee saying, I beseech you. What I'm about to tell you, this is important. 
This is so important. I'm going to set aside my pride and humble myself to, to beg you. This is obvious stuff, but I'm going to beg you to do this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Through our salvation, God has enabled us to present ourselves to him. When we look at that, that verse, there's so much in there. We have a God that came to earth, lived as a man, and died and rose again. And sometimes we can get a disconnect where, and I'm guilty of this, when we see verses where it says that Christ came and died for the world. It, it's hard to picture the world. It's just, well, it's the world, it's all these people. But God came and in a very personal way died for you. Um, Joseph Stalin, that great world leader during World War II. See, I told you I was going to forget. I told you when I finished reading, sit down. Boy, they don't listen. <laughs> but Joseph Stalin, for those of you who are not familiar, Joseph Stalin was the Russian dictator of uh, communist Russia, the Soviet Union. And in many ways, he was worse than Hitler. So when, in their fight during World War II, it wasn't two, one bad person versus one good person. No, it was two of the most wicked human beings that have ever existed. Um, the only other one that might outshine them is Mao in China. I don't even want to go with what he's done. But Joseph Stalin was responsible for millions and millions of his people being killed. He probably killed, he killed more Russians than Germany did, than Hitler did. And it's attributed to him, this statement. He said, one person dying is a tragedy. A million, it's a statistic. Think about the callousness of that statement. But to be honest, there's a grain of truth there. When we see an individual, we can see their face. We can see their pain, their suffering. We can converse with them. It's personal. I'll be honest. I am not big enough to look at Japan as a whole and see it as more than a statistic. There's 125 million Japanese but we're going to go and God has individuals in mind for us. And here is a difference in how God views people. There's no such thing as a statistic with God. There are only individuals on the cross. Jesus Christ was up there and in his mind was me. And I could go around the room, brother Chad, you were in his mind, brother Zach, you were in his mind. Everything about you from before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ knew. He knew we were going to sin. And he planned ahead. And he came and he died for us. If you were the only sinner, 
God says you would be enough. He would have done that just for you. So when Paul here says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What did God give for us? God, very God, an eternal God that cannot die, came and died for you. Can you wrap your mind around that contradiction? When God has a contradiction, it's a good thing. When we have a contradiction, not exactly good. But God, very God, gave himself. So, of course, it's reasonable. If I give every second of my life, it's still reasonable. Because it wouldn't come up to what he did for me. I never could come up to what he did for me and what he did for you. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we're conforming to his image, we're going to do as he commands and be who he intends us to be. And in verse three, it says, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Was it Brother Winter that said uh, about the pride? When he said that, I, I looked over at my wife and said, how many times have I used that illustration in preaching in the last month and a half? As I get older, pride comes up more and more often. As you dig deeper into pretty much any problem of man, if it's not right at the middle of it, it's right next to the middle of it. You know, we can look at the surface level and we might not see pride, but you dig down and you dig down and you're going to get to the pride at the heart of it. So he says, in context of Jesus Christ coming and dying and conforming and giving him reasonable service, hey, remember not to be prideful in it. Oh, I've got a, a doozy. Uh, when I was in practice preaching, is Brother Sam here? I saw him last night, but Brother Rick, are you in here? There you are. So practice preaching. My first sermon, the, uh, the semester I graduated in practice preaching, I had studied and I had studied for about two weeks. I had a sermon ready. And the night before, God said, no, you're not preaching that. I go, well, I put two weeks into this. <laughs> what do you want me to preach, Lord? And he took me to study to show thyself approved unto God. And so I threw a sermon together on that. And I preached it. I was going through some of my uh, old papers. And I found my personal evaluation from the end of that semester. And I had in there where Brother Sam, after all the other students had finished making their comments. And this was, this, it was a dagger, as only Brother Sam could. He said, it's ironic that a sermon about study, that the problem with it is a lack of study. 
I hit the mic. Mmm, <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> and I applied myself that semester. I was, I was the kind of person that a lot of you would have hated in high school. I didn't have to study for anything. I would read my textbook. I'd go in and I'd take my test and I'd get a B or an A. If I studied and I applied myself like I should have, 99, 100% across the board. I didn't always apply myself at Heartland like I should have. Sometimes we make bad choices. But that semester, I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to pass. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get through it, graduate, move on. And I'm, I'm pushing through. I'm, I'm working hard. And it was the first time I'd ever had this. My grade starts going like this. Down and down. The harder I tried. And I, I took Brother Rick aside, asked him to talk privately. And he had some humbling words for me. You know, and it was God teaching me not about you. You had all this ability that I gifted you. You can try as hard as you want. I can humble you. So when he says there, I, I read this, I think of this every time I read this verse. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. What God gives, he can take away. And then he goes on to, in verse 4, it says, for, we, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Can I ask you this? Is there anyone in this room that the Great Commission doesn't apply to? Anybody want to raise their hand and say, it doesn't apply to me? <laughs> no, individually, every single Christian has that responsibility. Amen. There are people that you will see that Brother Gaddis will never meet, that the staff members will never meet. To be honest, Brother Gaddis is only so much butter to be spread over the bread. He can only go so far. If it was all relying on him and the staff members, it wouldn't work. Let me ask you guys this. How many of you in here were led to the Lord by someone that was not on church staff? So, everyone on the podium, up here on the platform, and looks like probably about two-thirds of the church if you guys and me were relying on the professionals to get involved, you wouldn't have heard. That's the responsibility for every Christian. But there's more that needs to be done. And he proceeds to say in verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, 
whether prophesy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. He that teacheth on teaching, excuse me, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. We see a lot through there. So prophecy, telling others the mind of God. Ministry, serving in practical ways. We were here late last night. If you haven't ever stayed late, maybe do that once. You'll see people all over ministering. It, out, it makes me think of, uh, anybody remember Andrew Fleet? So he was my roommate my first year at Heartland, and he was dating uh, Lexi up in Stillwater. And I rode with him to Men's Advance. He was my ride. Guess where Lexi was from? Stillwater, from the church there. So what do you think my roommate wanted to do? He wanted to stay late. So guess what? He's my ride. I got to stay late. How many of you guys have been to, to Men's Advance? How many of you gotten to stay late? Okay. So you guys have stayed late, you'll know what I'm talking about. You very rarely, when you're at Men's Advance, see a lady there. I mean, you might see them off on the edges. As soon as most of the guys are gone, it's like flip a switch and they're everywhere. It's a beehive. It was shocking. All that stuff they set up. Uh, do they still do the maze? Yes. The maze and all that stuff. They have to get that torn down by the end of the day. They have to get everything back to square one by the end of the day. And that church gets in there and they dig in. And I had the privilege to be there for that. I, I haven't forgotten it. And to help out. Jumped in and they are such a blessing, that church. That is ministry. It's the things that no one ever sees. That's the ministering that's talked there. Exhortation, encouraging people to practice what they've been taught. That's most of preaching, honestly. Pretty much I think everyone in here this morning has probably heard things over and over and over and over. I'm not saying anything new. Giving. God's given us so much. America is very wealthy. This makes me think of, uh, now this isn't something that I've ever told the person I found out. As a deacon, I accidentally found out how much a member was giving, going through the, the faith promise cards. And I was shocked. God knows. You look at that couple, you would never guess it. They were giving almost half of the faith promise in my home church. One, one couple. I've had another pastor that told me, as I called him about missions, to come and present. And he said, well, we'll keep it in prayer. And he's someone I know very, pretty well. And he said, I take it very seriously because I've got a member that he could be living in a million dollar mansion. He could be driving the Rolls Royce, fill in the blank. And he's driving a 20-year-old car so that he can give more to missions. And that's in that pastor's mind. 
That's in my mind. As God's called us to go to Japan. Giving. Is nothing to be taken lightly. It's investing in others. And I take that very seriously. When I have a pastor tell me that this is what my members investing. I don't want to take that investment and fritter it away. Sad truth is many missionaries have done that. Ruleth, well, that's the pastor with oversight. Then mercy, showing mercy to those who do not deserve it and doing it cheerfully. When you see someone that's uh, being a knucklehead and they're living a way that you know they know better, it's hard to show that person mercy when the consequences of their actions come upon their head. It's like, hey, you brought it on yourself. That's in us. But God would have us to show the same grace to them that we were shown. Each person has a unique place to play. We are all part of the body. God has given us different gifts. And I'll be honest, your gifts will change over time. God equips you for what you're called to do if you're submitted unto him. But God just doesn't want us to be sitting in the background. And we can find so many reasons to say we can't serve. Well, I'm at Southwest and somebody's already doing this and somebody's already doing that and they don't need me. Many reasons. I was that way with preaching. I didn't feel like I measured up. Brother McCracken, I surrendered to preach under his preaching at Silver State. So he became my gold standard. Brother Sam Davison. <laughs> that was how I viewed preaching. I said, if I'm going to preach, that's the kind of preacher I'm going to be. Have I preached like Brother McCracken this morning? No. Have I preached like Brother Sam Davison this morning? No. Took me a, a good number of years to get it through my, my thick head that God did not call me to be Dave McCracken. He did not call me to be Sam Davison. He called me to be the most Christ-like Randy that I could be. And remember, he knew me way more intimately than I knew me. He knew how he could use me, how he wanted to use me. And he knows each one of you the same. And you have a choice. We can look at others and say, well, I'm not as good as this person. I don't have that gift. I don't like kids. <laughs> Whatever reason you might come up with. You know what's at the heart of that? Can anybody guess? Pride. Pride can be expressed by the Heartland student that's picked for everything. He's got all the abilities. He puts on the outward front. God's allowed him to serve in this ministry and serve in that ministry and serve in this ministry. And he can say, well, if I'm picked for all this, it's because I'm something. And then pride can be expressed by the other end of that. 
the hireling student that looks and says, I'm not as good as him. So I'm not even going to try. Because guess what? When you try, you might get embarrassed. You know what's at the heart of embarrassment? Pride. Because you don't want to have that situation where you go, I look bad. Pride. Gets to the heart of everything. You have those people, and this is where you don't need to be that flashy person that everybody sees. Some of the first people that pop into my mind, and I've had a lot of good, godly men invest in me. I had the privilege to have Brother Hainline Sr. Um, was able to come to my ordination. He was my missions mentor. That means a lot to me. It was a hard choice. Who do I pick to come out there? Well, God's called me to missions, so. Because I've had so many good men. Brother Rick Williams back there. Brother Sam Davison. Brother Gaddis. I mean, just go down the list of the staff. But then I've had uh, Brother Bruce. I got to work with him in kindergarten for, I don't even know how many years. Then another mind that pops, another name that pops into my mind is Brother Castile. Gary Castile. I've been trying to find him. I think he was here last night, but I saw the back of a head. It's like, I think that's Brother Castile. <laughs> but I wasn't able to track him down in time. But you know what? Brother Castile, he's not, he's not anything special as far as serving in this position, serving that. He's just a blessing. He's always got a smile for me. He's always got something encouraging to say to me. And then I can list off people in my home church, the Greers, have just loved on me. I wouldn't be here without the Greers or the Hardys. They didn't have any position in the church that I was under. But they said, hey, here's a young man. We're going to show him love and affection. So our ability to serve God has nothing to do with our position. The position, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. That's just what responsibilities you have officially. Your impact can far outweigh many pastors. That's not to belittle the work of pastors. But it's going to be personal. I got about 10 more minutes. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It would help if the preacher would go the right direction in his Bible. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? 
Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and Greeks seek after, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We're called. Every single one of us are called to serve, to set aside ourselves, to be engaged in the foolishness of preaching. Yes. Preaching is not just filling this pulpit. That's right. Every single one of you, if you're in here and you're saved, you have the power of God in you. Amen. You've been a witness of God and he's chosen you. That's right. When you realize that you're one of the, uh, the foolish things of this world, that's when he can use you. You know, and it's not in ourselves. I mean, this is another area where he kind of knocks down pride. Here, let me describe myself. I'm dirt and water. I'm not anything special. I'm the base things. And when I think of myself more than that, then I'm useless. But when we see ourselves as God sees us, Amen. as far as ability not to value, right. Right, right. because what's the value of every person in here? God himself Amen. died on the cross. Amen. That is your value to God. Right. When we lose sight of that, but he takes the foolish things, the weak things, and I'll be honest, God is a very sarcastic God. I'm fully convinced. You can read many passages where he's mocking sinners. And this is kind of one of those where I see a little bit of sarcasm in there. The foolishness of God is stronger than men. There is no foolishness of God. But he's making a point with a little bit of tongue in cheek. But he chooses to use us. And we can have our, our excuses like Moses did or like Jeremiah did when he said, I, I'm but a child. And yet, how did God use them? He used them in a very mighty way. Not that they could lift up themselves, but that God would get the glory. 
It's all about him. He's given himself for us and he has deigned to use us. And every single person in here, God wants you to be involved in the Great Commission. And God wants you to be involved in more. Every single person. Southwest is a strong church, is a great church. But I would hazard to guess that if Southwest had 100% participation, there's not enough staff members to take care of everything that'd be going on here. Let's be honest. You know, I've mentioned those statistics at the beginning and I said I believe Southwest has exceeds those by far. But by how much? And each of you have that choice. So I'd give you all a, a practical challenge. If you're not involved like you should be, this, this should be something I think everyone in here could do. Pick three people that you don't know at Southwest and find a way to be a blessing to them. And don't forget them. One of the things that uh, Brother Rick had us doing in the, uh, the Harlan Couples class was we had uh, care group leaders. And I had the privilege, which that was a great learning experience, Brother Rick. Um, he asked us to be a care group leader. And we had assignments. It shifted so we didn't, didn't pick our friends every time. And he would assign us a, a group of families for a semester. And we had... Uh, different contacts. And we had to make the conscious choice to be a blessing to them, have a conversation with them, pray with them, have them over to our house, things like that. Just so we could be a blessing. It was a good teaching. If we don't make the conscious choice to serve God, we're just going to fill a pew. And that's not what God wants us to do. He wants each of us to be involved in every way we can possibly be involved in. Brother Gaddis.